Hello and welcome to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the traditional lands of the Noongar people and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. The show is produced by Magic Studios and presented by the WA Country Football League in partnership with Healthway, promoting the Think Mental Health message. On the final episode of Bush Footy Legends for this season, our guest is Brett Peake, the son of a WA football great. His father, Brian, played more than 400 games between East Frio, Geelong and a brief stint at Perth. Brett's own career took him to Fremantle, the club's only ever father-son selection, and then to St Kilda, where under Ross Lyon, he went as close as you can possibly come to the ultimate football success. But his first taste of a flag had to wait until he started forging a career in the country, and now he's shaping the fortunes of a club in the Great Southern, which had won just two games in more than a decade before he arrived. I'm your host, Jackson Barrett. Let's get into it. Brett Peake, thank you very much for joining us on Bush Footy Legends. It's a pleasure to have you on. How are things and where do we find you? Um, yes, yeah, well, thanks for the shout-out and for having me on. Um, currently in between um, planting a 1,000 seedlings. So I've come up uh, to do this little podcast and we're sort of uh, east of Albany in a nice part of the world down here, so very fortunate. Beautiful. And playing, having a kick down there as well. So the Albany Sharks, you're fresh off a grand final defeat, but uh, ready for a, another run and another crack at it. Yeah, this year was, uh, this, so this was my second year with Albany Sharks. And, you know, last year we sort of managed to um, win a few games and make the finals. So obviously to build on that this year to make the grand final. And look, it was a, it was a fantastic game um, to be a part of, but you know, from a spectacle as well, it was it was a good grand final from all reports. Uh, and yeah, we just we just weren't good enough uh, to get over the line. So it's always disappointing, you know, losing the biggest game of the year. But uh, hopefully, the younger guys and some of the older guys sort of uh, it hurts, and we come back next year and and do it all again and have another crack and hopefully go one step one step better. We'll speak about a little bit more about your country tyres shortly, but. How does football start for you? I think you're, you're probably the only guest that we've had where um, your father and your grandfather played at the top level as well. So you probably had a slightly different relationship with football growing up. What was it like having um, having a dad that played at such a high level and uh, and what was that like as a kid and growing up around football? Yeah, obviously I, I was born born into football so you know ever since I can remember there was always a footy around we were, we were always at um, games on the weekend watching dad I still have sort of vivid memories early days down at Shark Park uh, me and dad went down there uh, a couple of weeks ago obviously Shark Park's getting knocked down and, and a new stadium built so we uh, we went down there and sort of a Brought back a few memories from when I remember sort of in the late 80s. What am I? I was born in 83. So sort of, you know, the, the 87, 88, um, you know, being being five years old, I still remember them. Um, and then obviously coming up through the juniors, obviously grew up in Williton. So played all my junior footy with Williton Blues. And it just sort of progressed from there. Uh, just enjoyed it as you do every young kid aspires to play at the highest level um but you know for me I was very small as a as a young tacker and at, at some period I, I don't think playing AFL or even playing waffle footy was really on my radar I just I wasn't good enough and you know that sat well sat well with me but 
the old man always, always from a young age said, you know, that I was always going to have a lot of pressure uh, being the son of, of Brian. Um, and I was aware of that and I, I couldn't have had a better upbringing in regards to, you know, the, the positive and the negative stuff that comes with being uh, the son of a, of a champion. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I sort of took everything in my own stride and um, enjoyed the journey. Were you able to sort of wrap your head around as a youngster what your old man had achieved or is he sort of just dad through those years or were you able to put into context quite how good he was and, and what him playing footy meant to other people as well, I guess? It's sort of a funny one. Sort of back when I was growing up, we didn't we didn't have mobile phones. You know, you look at, I only have to look at my nephews and sort of, you know, the, the younger generation now, they can just pick up their phone and Google, Google something and bang, it's straight up there. So from a statistics point of view, uh, information point of view, it's really readily available. Back when I was growing up, really you only had sort of watching the footy yeah. uh, or on a Sunday afternoon, uh, you know, I think it was, I can't even remember what it was called. I think it was winners back in the day, but they were the only things that sort of we sort of could watch and understand about football, whereas, you know, the new generation just ha- have it very easy. And it's a lot more criticised now. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, uh, the old armchair experts, I suppose, uh, that in my point of view, some of them absolutely have no idea whatsoever. Uh, you know, but for me, living it, living and breathing it, and understanding, you know, the pros and cons that come with it. Um, yeah, I suppose at the end of the day, it sort of is what it is. But yeah, I didn't really understand, I suppose, what what Dad had achieved until probably later, sort of probably once I started playing AFL and I started to speak to people. Uh, you know, some of my coaches that have played with him, against him, and sort of as, as my AFL career went on, I sort of realised, you know, some of the stuff that he was capable of doing. And I, I only watched the 79 grand final and one of the state of origins um, in the last year or two and didn't realise sort of the player that he was. So obviously got the utmost respect for for him as a person and, you know, the way that he went about his, his football because uh, he's certainly... Uh, He's not the, the biggest in regards to height, but he was obviously built built quite strong. You sort of touched on the pressure there. Did that um, come to fruition? Did you feel any of that sort of kicking around at school or uh, around at Willerton at all? Did, it, did you sort of have a different relationship with guys at all or did you just settle in? No, not really. Uh, once again, obviously, Dad had sort of, set everything in place so it was just water off a duck's back you know um at the end of the day you know a lot of the comments were you know you're never going to be as good as your old man and you know at the end of the day yeah it's black and white i I certainly wasn't i certainly achieved nowhere near what he achieved but there's things in football that i've achieved that that he didn't but overall um I, i acknowledge that he was he was one of the greats and um that doesn't mean i put him on a pedestal and I don't expect anyone else to put him on a pedestal. He was just, he was just good at, at AFL footy. And um, it was just, yeah, once again, uh, I just went with the ebbs and flows of, you know, there are only words, there are only words that people can sort of sling at you. I suppose the keyboard warriors now, uh, as the younger generation find out at the end of the day, the, the, the best way to discuss anything is, is a good old debate. Uh, and the best debates are, you know, face to face and, you know, you can sort of, 
go through, especially in the footy circles, because footy is watched by a lot of people and everyone loves having their two cents worth. But uh, when you sit down and, and get to discuss and have a good debate about, you know, this or that, the way the game's going, who's better, who's this, it's, it's, it's quite fun. It's quite enjoyable. What did playing for East Fremantle mean, given uh, all you touched on about the memories at Shark Park as a youngster? What did East playing for the Sharks mean when that opportunity came about? And how did it come about? You're obviously at Willerton. When did that next step come? I suppose it really sort of didn't sink in until two weeks ago when I actually uh, went to East Fremantle, you know, and sort of, you know, just looked around and, and knowing that the stadium and all the history is, is going to go. Um, you know, well, I suppose it's not going to go, it's still going to be there, but it is an end of a massive era. You know, East Mountain Footy Club is, is sort of one of the biggest clubs uh, in Australia and they've produced a lot of good footy players. But for me, it all started back when I was playing amateur footy with the Willow Blues and uh, got invited down to to East Mountain to train with the sort of league and resis and sort of was still small at that stage, sort of 18 years of age, didn't play any Colts footy, uh, wasn't good enough to play and sort of was naturally fit. So sort of went through the pre-season and sort of did a pretty good job and then went away for Christmas and went surfing and accidentally forgot to go back to pre-season in early January and the old man rang up and said, look, if you don't want to play footy, by all means, it doesn't bother me. I just don't let the coach and your teammates hanging. So I sort of, uh, I think I missed the first week, you know, back in, I think it was 2003. And then I went back and sort of head down, bum up uh, and sort of, you know, then gave it a shot and was lucky enough to play every league game that year in an ageing Sharks team. And uh, at the end of the year was was fortunate enough to get picked up as a father-son to Freeman. So was that a size thing, not being not being looked at as a Colts player, do you think? Were you still just too small? Were you happy just sort of kicking around at Willow? Because um, it's a, it's unusual, particularly these days, not to have played any Colts footy. What was that like? Um, well, it's one of those things to, to look back on it now. At the end of the day, uh, if you're not good enough for something, you know, it should be at peace with it. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I sort of probably look back and, uh, yeah, just, you know, in the games that I played to try to get into the, the cold squad, I didn't play good enough. Uh, you can use a whole lot of things, you know, to play out of position or anything, but I was small. I didn't really have sort of any tricks back then. And and that, that sat well with me. Um, I, I was happy to play uh, Willow Blues. And, you know, it was just around, around the corner from home. I had some good mates there. There were some good footy players running around. And I would have been happy to, you know, continue on my, my plumbing journey and to play footy with the Willow Blues for forever in a day. But things happen and I was fortunate enough to go, you know, to the next level and, and to play footy at the highest level. Was there a moment where that clicked? You mentioned that sort of pre-season where um, surfing trip took precedence. Do you, do you remember a moment where it clicked and maybe elite footy did sort of grab you and the prospect of, you know, this might happen. You must've known that um, down the track, you may be eligible for a father son at Fremantle. What sort of point did that start becoming a factor for you? Yeah, I, I do remember. And I was playing on a wing uh, for East Fremantle and I just playing on the wings, a hard position, especially when, uh, when the team's not switching and your running patterns are wrong and I, I, I clearly 
clearly remembered. I think it was five rounds into the season. We we're playing Subiaco, and uh, the coach said, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna put you and tag you on little Ali Smith, Alistair Smith, um, Ali Pickett, sorry." And I ended up tagging him, and he was an absolute gun footy player. Um, just his endurance, and he always was just around the ball. So he led me to the ball pretty much. And um, I just remember that I sort of uh, kept him quiet for the game, uh, which, you know, being a tagger is your job. But what he taught me, he taught me sort of some running patterns from a midfield high half forward position that I sort of didn't realise. And, yeah, if if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for running around um, against him, I probably would have been dropped and then played resis. And, and who knows where the journey would have gone on. So at the end of the day, I suppose I, I owe it a little bit to him because um, he was the one that sort of ignited, you know, a little bit more to play and I didn't want to get dropped. And, yeah, I learned a lot from from that one game tagging. And and I've seen it in, in football at even at highest level. If you're out of form, sometimes they, they get a good player to run with another player and it just good players will always lead you to the ball. So that was a pivotal moment. For me, um, that I remember quite clearly. I think it's a, you're right, it's a common theme that you can learn a lot tagging. You can learn a lot watching the best and you can, it, the best way to do that is obviously close up. 2003, as you touched on, was your draft year. So you've gone from um, East Fremantle, make the jump to Fremantle via father-son. Um, the father-son's a rule that is often spoken about and it's changed over the years and there's the fairly complex bidding process and stuff like that now. But I think it's fairly unanimous that people really love this rule. A little bit different for you in that um, Brian obviously didn't play for Fremantle as such. You were under the rule where they had access to uh, to guys who had played 150 games at a, at a pool of waffle clubs. So a little bit different in your case. But where do you sort of stand on the rule and the romanticism of it all? And uh, were you a fan of the rule and 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 happy to land at Fremantle? Um, it's sort of a funny one because obviously I'm I'm stoked for the rule because it gave me uh, gave me an opportunity to stay home and play at the highest level. I, I actually would have loved to go on to Geelong. I, I think that's just because I was born there. Dad played for Geelong. Gary Ablett Senior was my favourite player growing up. He used to have the number five on on the back, kicking kicking out the front of uh, of Scribbly Gum Square where we used to live, and sort of I think that was the romance that you know I wanted to play for a team that Dad played for. I'd done it with Eastern Mantle. I would have loved to go to Geelong. Uh, father son, I think was a hundred for VFL. I think Dad might have played seventy two or three games off memory. So, but once it became reality that Dad was speaking to Fremantle, um, it sort of made it a little bit more sort of, well, this is this is reality. I'm, I'm potentially going to get picked up and be on a list, which is only the start of the journey. You know, just getting on a list is one thing, but then to go on and play one game, 10 games, 100 games um, and so on is, is where the challenge really lies. What was Fremantle like to walk into in that sort of era? It was probably a club that was really making moves in the competition for the first time. End of 2003 was its first final and um, you were involved in its first real finals run a couple of years later, but was very much just a team still getting off the ground at that stage? Yeah, there was uh, there was some really good players that had gone elsewhere and come back. I still remember, I was lucky enough, I got, I got a pass from the AFL that I could go. They pretty much said, yeah, we're going to take uh, Brett Peak, father, son, rah, 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 rah. And I got to train 
oh, by memory, it was six weeks out from the first final. Uh, I got to train with them every, I'm pretty sure it was Wednesday night. So I'd finish work as an apprentice plumber, as a fourth-year apprentice plumber. I'll jump in the old uh, banged-up Hilux and I'll drive down to Fremantle Oval and I was always late. I was always late <laughs> and they were already training. So I'd, you know, put my kit on, run out there. I hadn't even been drafted yet. I, I, I'm almost thinking about it now on the spot. It was a little bit surreal. But the one the one moment that stood out was though it was the Wednesday of the first final. I think it was Friday night against Essendon, by memory. And I rocked up late. There was like 10,000 people at Fremantle Oval all getting ready for what is Fremantle's biggest game. And, and here, here Brett Peak rocks up um, in, in my short short shorts and, and my, <laughs> you know, blue plumbing top and then put on my Freo gear and run out there. And I just remember all the boys, all the Fremantle boys were doing their, their warm-up in a, in a circle and I just get this, <laughs> glad you could make it, you know, on the biggest game that they're about to play. Um, a player that's not even on their list rocks up that late. And it was just, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, um, you know, it was great to be a part of. Uh, because it did give me that little bit of a taste before I actually went in and started pre-season uh, in late that October. Of the 10,000 at Freo Oval, how many do you reckon knew who you were on that night? Probably duck eggs, zero. <laughs> what sort of an experience was it? Obviously bizarre and surreal, as you mentioned, but um, building relationships and that sort of thing, you obviously were entrenched in the group enough to have that little bit of um, lighthearted banter and whatnot. How did that help once you once you did show up for real? Yeah, it made it. I'm pretty easy going. Um, I can get along with with anyone. And the the biggest thing was when I did go to day one with all the draftees, I'd already met the the squad, the playing list. So it was very, I have to admit, yeah, it was easy because I knew them. It wasn't like I was working into a new um, employment and I had no idea. I didn't know anyone. It did make it easier. Plus I was 20. So I was a little bit older. I was a little bit older than, you know, most of the the draftees of that year, which one was um, David Mundy. Uh, So, yeah, you know, those guys, most of the draft year that year was 17, 18. So I already had a a couple of years uh, on them, but obviously getting to train with them, that once a week leading up uh, to that draft, um, yeah, certainly made it easier. What's the journey then like from the end of 2003 until, you know, midway through 2005 when you make your debut? It's um, probably a slightly uncertain time. Did the club, does the club sort of walk you through that period because you you would have been itching to make your debut and it it did take a little while, whereas other guys like, uh, David and others, I assume, would have made slightly earlier debuts. What's that period like at a footy club? Yeah, as I said just before, getting drafted, uh, it's probably the easiest thing. Yeah. Um, and then obviously going through training, getting your body. You know, you're going from, from being a full-time apprentice to a full-time athlete, you know, running sessions, weight sessions, weights. I had no idea what, what weight was. Um <laughs> You know, intense running sessions, skill sessions, food that's going in your body, learning about hydration, yoga, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was it was a bit of a like shock to the system. Um, and I was still pretty small then, um, and I still didn't know where I was going to play. Like, where was my best position? I, I didn't really have an idea. So the first sort of year, you sort of go, you know, through it. Um, but I broke my arm. I broke my arm. Uh, in a derby, like with about literally, I remember Stephen Dodd kicked a, a ball over my head and I ran back and just got absolutely uh, shit mixed and broke my arm. 
which sort of put me back a, li- a little bit. But that was probably, you know, looking back on it, it was probably a good thing because you could then sort of sit back, get your rehab done, and then come back and make a make a tilt for it. Um, so yeah, it is an un- uncertain time. But at the end of the day, uh, the old man always says, if you're good enough, it will it will come, it will happen. If you work hard, you listen, you ask questions, everything will happen. So um, yeah, it, it felt like it was probably a long time, but it went really quick. And I still remember my debut like it was yesterday. So round 13, 2005 against North, tell us about that occasion and what the build-up was like. When did you find out you were debuting? Yeah, I'm pretty sure of memory the week before I think we played Sydney and that was going to be my debut, but a really close um, person in the family passed away and then they didn't want to tell me when I was over over in Sydney and then next minute I got to make my debut against North, which I found out on the Tuesday. So plenty of plenty of time, you know, sort of to get ready. And I knew I was close, but just sometimes when you're that close, you're that far away. Um, so I got time to let it sort of sink in and yeah, it was it was very enjoyable. Um, first person uh, to give me my first kick was Stephen Dodd. So someone that I played a lot of junior footy against and with. Um, and my first opponent who ran past was was Glenn Archer, wow. and uh, I still remember I, I started on the wing and um, he, looking around Subiaco Oval, going, "How good's this?" You know, decent crowd in, and Glenn Archer sort of runs up to me, and I'm like, "Oh, this is a little bit real." You know, he's going to absolutely flatten me, and he, uh, I just remember he goes, "Big fan of you, old man. Good luck for today. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll see you during the game." And that's what he said. So Incredible. that sort of shows you the type of bloke, you know, an intimidating force on the field. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember that once again like it was yesterday because, you know, you used to watch up North Melbourne of the of the 90s, you know, Friday, every Friday night, every kid watched Friday night footy. And um, North Melbourne were the, were the biggest team in AFL. So, you know, to get to go out there and, and sort of play against some of the legends that I watched that I never thought I would ever play against, um, yeah, it was a – was a nice thing. You played nine out of the next ten games. Did you start to feel settled in that last couple of months of the season? Yeah, certainly. I started to find my feet. The, the team sort of won a few games and there was a chance to make finals. I think we played Port Adelaide round, the last round um, and we had to win to make the finals. And it was a big game. It was, it was a night game over there. And it was probably one of my better games for, the, for that nine block period uh, and we fell short obviously Port back then were a were a very good team and it just gave me sort of a sniff to go into the, the 2006 season uh, ready to rock and roll you know have a good pre-season and, and see if I could um, play at the highest level and, and play well. 20 games in 2006 and then this is where Freo sort of really started to make the move. So a lot of those guys, I think um, Sanderlands, Mundy, Johnson, McFarlane really started to make moves in that season and um, a slightly more experienced Matthew Pavlich now and you you end up in a preliminary final. Um, you've obviously established yourself in that side and then a finals run. What's finals football like first of all and you must have felt like you were really a part of something early in your career but also essentially early in the life of the Dockers as well yeah that that period I think we went on and won my, my memory and stats aren't the greatest but I think we went on a run of 
10 straight wins or nine straight wins. And I can tell you when, when everything's going well in, in AFL, the weeks just rolled by, you know, it was just, we all trained hard. We all played hard and things just rolled on. We just were in sync with it, you know, with everything at the, in the footy club, whether it was from, you know, the, the hierarchy down to the playing group, down to the younger kids who are, you know, trying to push their way in. Everything just rolled through. It just, it felt easy. And it does when, when, you, when you're winning and you're winning consistently, it does. It, winning breeds winning. And it was a really enjoyable sort of period that time and then heading into finals I started to get tagged a little bit so that was a whole nother level of uh, pressure that I had to sort of withstand and I had to speak to some of the some of the on ballers um, I had to speak to the old man just to get some advice of how to deal with a tag um, but yeah to play to play in a final series and a, and a big final series to get a double chance as well uh, it was amazing you know we look back on it now we I said this to um, Another interview that I did a while back, we it was funny how footy works because we had the edge over the Eagles in, in that year and we had to go over to Adelaide. We should have beaten Adelaide in Adelaide. But then again, I think West Coast were playing Sydney, which West Coast Sydney back in that, you know, the mid-2000s, those games were unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and we were, we were on the plane back. We played Friday night. We are on the plane back. Um, Saturday and the Eagles were playing Sydney and we were, we were barracking for the Eagles to win because we wanted them to get the week off. We played Melbourne the following week and then means we would have played Eagles at home for a prelim, which would have been, it would have been huge. But instead, the Eagles lost. So Sydney obviously went through to the prelim. We had to beat Melbourne in uh, Perth and then go over and, and ultimately play Sydney um, at ANZ Stadium, which was a, it's a a different different ground, very hostile. And Sydney were, you know, they, they were up and about in 2000, 2005, 2006. So, yeah, it's just, it's, it's amazing, you know, the swings and roundabouts of, you know, the ball bounces this way or that way. And, um, yeah, we, we could have been playing, could have been totally different back then, but it wasn't. So, so um, you sort of live and let go. Did you allow yourself to sort of dream in the month of September that year? Was uh, I'm sure it would have all been kept under wraps as far as the the top dogs at the club go. But as a as a younger player, did you let yourself think ahead a little bit to the MCG the following week and and what might lie ahead for you? Oh, of course, you, you, it's just natural. It's how quick you can block that out. Yeah. Um, every footy fan, every footy fan wants to be at the G on you know, that last Saturday in September. Every player wants to be at the G in that last Saturday in September and, and experience it. Every little kid, imagine, you know, I speak to, to young kids now and they're like, oh, you know, what is it like? What's it like? They all want to be there and experience it, whether it is as a player, supporter or, you know, lover of the game. And and you do. You do drift away for moments and go, oh, Imagine that 100,000 people roar. You know, imagine if we got to stand on that um, Dallas at the end of the game with a medal. Oh, you do. It's, I don't care what anyone says. Everyone has to dream and you've got to, and you've got to visualise that. You have to visualise it. But what then happens is how quick can you snap out of it and get back to what needs to be done? And that's getting back on the training track and visualising on the job ahead. So, yeah, it was, it, it was a really exciting time. But at the end of the day, uh, we weren't good enough and it would, it would have been huge, you know, for Fremantle, you know, because it didn't come until, I don't know, you're probably better stats man than me, 2015 until they got that 
that chance really to to get that first trophy in the cabinet. I want to touch on um, what you you mentioned before with the tagging. You've gone from all you learnt tagging in the waffle to being tagged yourself, but um, I imagine you would have been tagged as an outside player, which isn't something we see a lot of, but can be pretty damaging. What sort of advice did you get from from your dad and and the others that you turned to, and how did you work through that period? Yeah, it is it is a little bit rare because obviously my my speed and my endurance was was a key, and, and yeah, I, I was an outside player. That was sort of where I played. You know, every now and then I'd go on ball and, and be in the, the nitty-gritty of it, but I, I wasn't a bull. You know, we call the, the midfielders bulls who can really sort of push off their opponent and sort of, you know, the clearance kings, Cripps Hayes, you know, in, in Cripps Nittmore now, but Lenny Hayes was an absolute gun uh, as a bull. And, yeah, it was just they would, they would try to stop my run and never let me get goal side and always make body contact. And you just got to work through that. You've got to get your running patterns. For me, you know, I'll run the length of the ground, you know, numerous amounts of times going back and forth. And it was your, it was your running patterns, you know. You had to get them right. You had to time it. And you're sort of also relying on, you know, getting a, getting a clearance um, as well. So then, you know, when you're running or you're handballing, receiving, you're not, you know, getting checked. So it was just, it was working through it. It was working through it and sort of making sure that, you know, my endurance and my stamina and my speed would get me through it. But still, it doesn't stop you. Every minute of the day, you've got someone banging into you, trying to stop you, trying to stop your run. Um, <laughs> it gets a, you, you get over it pretty quickly, but obviously footy goes for 120 minutes and you've got to grit your teeth and just go, 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 because um, if you sort of spit the chewy, it'll be a long 120 minutes and, um, yeah, it'll be hard. Is it something that you've had to deal with as well, returning to eventually to East Fremantle and then to country footy? Do you still cop it every now and then down south? Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, more so nowadays I play full forward. So I, I play in the sort of cage and occasionally yep. sort of run up the ground and run back. Um, I suppose opposition opposition teams see me, you know, as a threat, I'm, I'm 40 next year, so I'm still running around enjoying it and um, kicking the odd snag here and there. So, yeah, obviously the opposition are going to put time into me. A lot, a lot of games I, I get a young fella um, come and stand next to me. So, you know, sometimes I'll sort of help them a little bit. I won't help them in regards to how to stop me, but I'll just help them a little bit in regards to the, to the game itself. And, yeah, it's enjoyable. Am I still good enough to, to play it at this level? Um, I, I still enjoy it and obviously, you know, you'll want to give back a little bit. So for me giving back playing sort of country footy now is giving back to the, the next generation and, you know, I've played with some really good young kids, whether it be in the Southwest League or, you know, the Great Southern, which I'm playing in now. If I can just give a little bit back, if it makes them a better footy player, a better person, you know, if it's only something very small, well, I've done my job, but... um. Yeah, once again, still still enjoy enjoy the you know the toughness of the game, you know, and, and working through it. And it, at my age, it doesn't get any easier. In, in fact, it probably gets harder. Man, I think there are seventy odd goals you kicked this year. Is probably an indication there's a there's still a spot for you in that shark side. Um, back on the AFL. <laughs> yeah, side. but if, if you rest on. Yeah, correct. Yeah, if correct. you rest on your laurels, though, that's when that's when it uh, catches up to you. 
Um, end of 2009, so a few, it was six years all up at, uh, at Fremantle and end of 2009, uh, the move arises to St Kilda. Was that something that uh, you'd been interested in? Was it a conversation or a dialogue that the Dockers started? How did that come about? Um, yeah, I still remember that year. Obviously, you come off sort of a couple of lean years, uh, you know, Fremantle weren't weren't doing that well and sort of you can get, you know, being in Perth sort of probably needed to get out of there and, and you know, see if I could still play at the highest level potentially for another club. Uh, so obviously you speak to your manager and there was a couple of clubs sort of interested and I, the first club that I had a meeting with was St Kilda and it was the buy, it was sort of the middle of, of that year, uh, the 2009 year. Uh, they came over to Perth and we had a meeting and sort of was pretty much if everything could work out, St Kilda was going to be the destination. At that stage, I didn't know they were going to go on to play in the 09 grand final and, and fall agonisingly short. So in my head, I yeah pretty much checked out knowing that a fresh start was, was probably what I needed. Was it what was it that attracted you to St Kilda? They were obviously a, a strong club, like you say. You didn't know that they were going to come quite so close that particular year, but they were a strong club at the time. Uh, Ross Lyon was there. Players you mentioned: Lenny Hayes already, um, Nick Rewalt, some some serious footballers getting around. Is that part of the lure? Well, it's a funny one because it's it's a risk. Um, it's not like I'd come off a dominant season to sort of. Yeah, it's a little bit easier now. They have free agency and all that. And I think free agency is great. I think they can st- still do some work around it and, um, you know, have switches, at the, you know, the halfway stage, et cetera, et cetera, and really make AFL like the NFL and the NBA and, you know, the Premier League and all that. But it was a risk for me wanting to leave Fremantle because who knows who would have taken a chance on me. Like my career could have could have been done. You know, Fremantle... Fremantle uh, can't remember. I was out of contract. They might have given me a, a year. Um, so you, that's where your manager comes into it. You know, he'll he'll sound out a few clubs and see who's interested. And it was St Kilda, um, Melbourne a little bit, and Sydney. Um, I had a couple of meetings with Sydney. Sydney also attracted just because of their their culture um, that you sort of see and, and hear from an um, external point of view. Uh, and they had some some good people um, that I had meetings with, but it was St Kilda that, yeah. When I when I spoke to them, um, I actually spoke to Lenny Hayes and Nick Rewalt uh, two days on the Monday after the 09 Grand Final. So, if everyone you know thinks you know Mad Monday, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they have just come off losing a Grand Final yet. They sat down and had a coffee with me on a Monday morning to speak to me to see if I was a player that could help them or would fit in with sort of their culture and structure. And that just shows the the type of people that they are as individuals, but where the club was at, where St Kilda was at. And once I'd had a meeting with them, the the Tuesday was with Ross and I I was sold. I said, I'll I'll do do anything um, if you want to take a chance on me. um, Let's try to get a a deal done and I'll come over and let's go from there. So, yeah, obviously fortunate enough to to go to Melbourne and play with St Kilda. Yeah, it shows an incredible drive and, and a really good indicator of where the club's at and why they were 
um, obviously not successful in the in the ultimate regard, but a, a very very good club at the time is that incredible drive to um, to be looking immediately at how they can improve their squad. And then obviously you walk in the door uh, and Ross Lyon, who was as far as as coaching goes, we we sort of know him certainly from the outside as this this pretty tough and rough operator, but was extremely good at what he what he does and what he did and what, what he's doing again and, and was at the top of his game at that period. What was a Ross Lyon coached program like to be involved with? I've said it, I've said it before and I find it really staggering, right? Yes, he hasn't won a grand final, right? right? And every, every media, every footy lover makes it very clear, right? He's taken to St. St. Kilda to three, obviously the 9 the 10 and the draw, yeah. um, and then obviously taking a Fremantle. So he's doing something right. He can he can get a team to a grand final. At the end of the day, it's the team that is going to win or lose on the day. He can only do everything in his power. So he's the greatest coach I've ever, I've ever had. His footy knowledge is second to none, just the way that he goes about it. Uh, being coached by him for two years, he was, the, he was just honest. He would say it how it was. And this, this is how I've been brought up. Um, it is straight down the line. Yep, you're good enough. No, you're not. This is what you need to work on, right? He wasn't there to be your best mate. And I've seen players, uh, I suppose I wouldn't say get on the wrong side of him, but he, he sort of makes it. He goes, hard path or the easy path. Let's yeah. go. Let's get to work. We need to get to work to get there. Um, I, I, did, I just lo- loved everything about him, how he coached, um, his sense of humour. I, I really love having said it earlier in the podcast, love having debates with people that don't know him, people that have no idea how he operates, what makes him tick. Um, once again, you know, people can have their their say, and, and, that's, and that's healthy, you know. Keyboard warriors, they can say what they want, but a lot of people that have comments about people in that sort of, you know, that that high sporting environment, a lot of them, unfortunately, are uneducated and they just they just say it like, like they're, you know, they should go and be the coach or, you know, their opinion is what it is and they're right, which I love hearing opinions because opinions are good. Don't get me wrong, but far out, he, he copped some criticism. And I, and I think going back to St Kilda, um, I, I would back him in to make the finals next year. Um, it's the 150th year. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, um, but he's he's the best co- he's the, the best coach by far. And um, yeah, I, you can probably tell. I just laugh because a lot of people do do mocking. But it's not like he's co- it's not like he's coached for 10 years and hasn't taken a you know. There's other coaches out there that haven't been close to finals that are coached for a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he is hard. Hard but fair, and that's why I've got a lot of time for him. I always, I always stick up for him. Um, you know, he'll do, he'll do well back at St Kilda. I think, the, I think he, in the press conference he said, "There's, you know, there's something missing, and and he, he's got unfinished business." So I, I wish him um, all the best as an individual, but also obviously St Kilda as well. Do you still have a relationship with Ross? And what was your initial reaction when you found out he was going back? Oh, I haven't spoken to Ross for a, a while now. Um, 
I'm pretty sure if, if I walked past him or I, or I rang him, he'd be the, the first to pick up the phone and have a conversation. I had a good relationship with him. Um, he got the best out of me as a, as a person and as a player. Yeah. And I, I loved playing for him. Um, you sort of were always on, you know, walking around on eggshells. You, you'd think you'd had a, a pretty good game and you certainly wouldn't walk into the club on a Monday sort of, you know, walking around like, yeah, I've had a pretty good game because he, he would just squash you straight back down. He, it keeps you on edge um, and gives you the tools to get better. Um, if you give him time, he'll give you time. If you put in the hard work, and I, and I have seen guys um, both at St Kilda and Fremantle get their careers cut because they might have not jumped on the same uh, pages as Ross. But at the end of the day, you know, he's, he's the coach and, you know, what he says goes and if you don't sort of buy into it. Um, yeah, you will you will get left behind, and I and I have seen it. And you know, playing AFL is a, it's a cutthroat game. It's a cutthroat industry. It's it's business. It's probably gone too much on the business side than than the game. But at the end of the day, um, yeah. The 2010 Grand Final, so it must have been just a wild ride in your first year at the club, and and here you are in a team that you knew was pretty good at the time, but you. They're in another grand final and you're in your first. Uh, and then guys have, and your teammates and, and Collingwood players have described just the empty feeling at the end of this drawn grand final. Where were you on the ground? How did that feel? Um, what, what, was the, what was the emotion? Because you hear so many guys just say, didn't know what to think or how to feel. Yeah, the siren went and I, it was a sort of a stoppage um, just outside, probably 70, 70 metres out on broadcast um, side. And I was right there. And there's, there's a photo, you know, we've all got our hands on our heads. We sort of knew, it was sort of weird because you don't talk about playing in a draw and then what happens. Yeah. Um, I still remember Nick Maxwell and, and Lenny Hayes goes far out. Like, do we, do we play extra time or do we come back next week? Like, the consensus was we come back next week and play, but there was still a still an element of doubt. When that siren went, you could have heard a pin drop. It was like there was such an empty feeling, not knowing what was really happening. And then even when um, the hierarchy of the AFL came out, there was still some sort of pandemonium in regards to what was actually happening and what what will happen. Looking back on it, it, it was. You never go to a grand final or, um, you know, you see it in NBA, that best of seven. So there's going to be, there's no draw. You know, they have overtime and all that. Yeah. You don't go to a grand final, you know, as a, as a player, as a supporter, as a lover of the game, to then the siren goes and it's like, oh, we've got to come back next week and do it all again. You've got to be gracious in defeat and gracious in victory. Um and that was, looking back on it, that was the most disappointing thing. Um, not because it was a draw when we came back next week and got smashed. It was just because you sh- someone should have left there being a winner. Someone should have left there being, unfortunately, a loser. Um, and that's why they've brought in the rule that there will be extra time if there is another draw. I think it's only two, two or three times in history of the, of the AFL that it happened. And I was lucky enough or unfortunate enough to, to be involved in it. It was, it was the most bizarre feeling even even the next week the lead up into the replay was just weird 
I'm fascinated by that next week because you have that, you're sort of like peaking towards your grand final all season and then you get to that sort of emotional high and then you've got to go again and you're expecting to be either celebrating a premiership or at Mad Monday or building towards next year and suddenly you're building towards a grand final again. What did that week look like for you guys? Was it managed differently? How did Ross go about sort of tempering where it was all at? Yeah, so, you know, Saturday after the grand final, you know, usually you have, you go back with all your supporters uh, to somewhere and, and either celebrate or sort of sit back and, and reflect on what would have been. So we, as a playing group, cancelled that. Um, I'm pretty sure Collingwood went on um, and sort of went there with some of their supporters and, and you know, because they had a function room booked out, rah, rah, rah. And then it obviously was recovery on the Sunday and then Monday was, it was like a normal week. It was just like the following week. The only thing that was different was you didn't do the grand final parade again. Yeah. But we didn't really look at the game too much uh, from the draw because there was no point. There was no point. It's a whole other game. And I firmly believe it was always going to be either one team or the other that was going to come out and, and win sort of quite convincingly, which... Um, at the end of the day, it was it was Collingwood. You know, they were they were too good. They settled quicker. They made the most out of their scoring opportunities, and sort of we were a little bit slow and sort of missed some crucial goals. And yeah, unfortunately, it's never nice to lose a game, let alone a grand final. But if there's one thing that I sort of took out from it, it certainly taught me a lot about life and um, and sport, and you know winning, losing, everything in between about that. But it's still, don't get me wrong, every time September comes, uh, it still hurts. It's still got a little bit of a, you know, sinking feeling just because so close yet so far away. What do you remember of Ross's exit at St Kilda? Uh, well, I was sort of, I said it um, in a podcast before, I was like, was I lucky enough or unlucky enough to hear our conversation? Um, I knew he was exiting. Um, St Kilda, I, I think, didn't want to give him long-term deal, you know, which looking back on it as a player, I, and I don't know all the ins and outs, like we're not privy to that. We don't need to know that. That's for the, the board and the management to sort out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he wanted a long-term deal. They wouldn't give it to him. So, obviously, there was some um, some key people at Fremantle that sort of, found out and uh, we're having conversations and it did. I obviously knew that he was going there. Um, I just kept it to myself because it's got nothing to do with anyone else. Um, looking back on it, I probably should have tried harder to try to get back to Fremantle because he got the best out of me. Um, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. Um, I only ended up playing one more game, one more AFL game, and then my career was sort of done, um, got sacked. Pretty much, you know, don't call it delisted. You call it sacked, which sits sits fine with me. There's nothing wrong with being sacked. Yeah. And, yeah, and he went on and, and did what he did at Fremantle and, and nearly got, you know, nearly got Fremantle and, and his first flag. So um, it's one of those things. Is that genuine? Was there a, a desire or at least a, a thought towards getting back to Fremantle at that time? Is it something that you sort of flirted with? Oh, it was just in, internal. It was just internal. I spoke yeah. to the old man about it. Oh, but coming off, St Kilda had played in the 09, the 10 grand finals. Like, we still had the same list. Like, there was, like, 
I'd just come off probably my best year in, in 11. Like, why would you, why would you want to go back home? Like, yeah. you know, I was loving Melbourne. Um, it, it's one of those things. I didn't exercise the idea as much as I sit back now and go, I probably should have. But then again, just because I, I wanted to follow him back, that doesn't mean he might have said no. You know, yeah. Fremantle hierarchy he might have said no. Um, but, you know, speaking to you now, geez, it would have been, it would have been nice, but I was happy to, to stay at St Kilda. St Kilda gave me a, another opportunity and um, and I genuinely thought we could have still, you know, with a new coach, could have still done something to um, to make the finals and, and been, a, been a threat, but that wasn't to be so. So you did come back to Perth once your time ended at the Saints and a, a, a good run at East Fremantle, which must have been really special as, a, as an older player um, to come back and, and give back. But uh, being bush footy legends, I want to touch on your, your time in the country. So a game on permit in 2017 at Bunbury, how much convincing from there did Jamie Nani have to do to get you to, to sign up full time? Um, so the wife's, um, so the parents, so the in-laws, they, they got a uh, farm in Boyna and we spent a fair bit of time, which Boyna is smack bang between, um, if anyone doesn't know, um, Bunbury and um, Donnybrook. We were actually at the, um, I think they call it the Donnybrook Apple Fair or something. We were yeah. down there for a weekend and I finished the week before with Ace um, Romano and I seen Lukey Toya. Lukey Toya lives down in Bunbury and he goes, oh, what are you doing down here? And he misheard. He thought I said I was living down there. Lukey Toya is good friends with Jamie Nani. Um, I get a call from Jamie Nani going, oh, I hear you're living down here. I said, no, 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 just, you know, in-laws have got a property, rah, 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 rah. And he goes, oh, do you, do you want to come and, you know, maybe play for the Bulldogs? Long story short is I met Jamie Nani back in 20, I think it was 2012 maybe. Um, I met him, didn't know him, met him and his family, and uh, he sort of helped me out in a in a funny uh, in a funny way. And I just thought that I owed it to him to go and play a year with with the Bulldogs, who were an up and coming team. And um, fast fast forward to the end of the year, we we win a flag. So that 2017 grand final, I've I've heard you say before that it's right up there in your footy career. You obviously missed out at St Kilda and uh, and in that sort of brief finals run with Freo, but you get it done at the Dogs in your first season in the country. I remember that game as well. It was a wet slog against Harvey Bruns and there was a bit of feeling in it. What was that day like? Um, it, it was great. You know, Bunbury Bulldogs were a, were a rebuilding club. Um, I think I was the only travelling player, even though we were living sort of down the farm, sort of three, four nights a, a week anyway. You used to try to get to the Friday training session it was just a good young group of, of guys that wanted to play footy well coached um and it was it was just really enjoyable but we sort of were probably the underdogs um going in we won i think we won the prelim against mark river by three points and hbl harvey brunswick were the, the better team all year um still i still remember before the before the warm-up we all got there sort of two hours before the game or speaking there was rumors that they had dropped the, the skipper um, Spud mm. Newman and once we found out that they did um, I just said to the boys mate game over it's ours to lose now and we just all rallied around each other there was no nerves it was just like well you know we expected ourselves to win but when we heard that um, I knew it was game over I knew that we just had to stick to our process and it was a wet day just a slog I think we ended up winning by 40 odd points but it felt like the game was ne- was done in the first quarter and um 
Yeah, it does. It does sort of sit very close to me because a, a grand final is a grand final, no matter what level or what grade um, you're playing. And it was the first one in Bunbury for a long time with a, with a young group, and it was just enjoyable. And yeah, obviously, I'm a premiership player for the Bulldogs, and that'll that'll always be. I was a um, young sort of student journalist sniffing around my hometown Bunbury at the time, and I remember Newman being dropped and it just being this massive footy uh, footy story in in Southwest circles. And then a couple of the guys that you played with on that day have gone on to to bigger things as well. I think Aiden Clark took one of the better marks I've ever seen on that day in the wet. Uh, Harry Creasy and another couple of guys as well. Do you still have relationships with that Bunbury group that you won that flag with? You obviously there for another couple of years after that. Is there still that bond? Yeah, yeah, there is, and obviously you, you know, um, you you grow, you go on and do other things and all that. But there's still a couple of the boys that you, you know, you still flick your text to, and um, you know, speak to Nards every now and then um, because he was. I played in the premiership. He's the coach. Um, you know, gave me an opportunity to go to Bunbury and, and win a premiership. So uh, I think it was our five five years ago this year. Um, so I'm looking forward to the ten year reunion. Um, and, and celebrating and, you know, because a lot of those guys that won that flag in 17 were like 17, 18-year-olds. Yeah. So they'll still be playing potentially at the 10-year reunion. So, yeah, just a, a very, very proud moment, but just really enjoyable to do it with a, with a ripping bunch of lads. And then I guess the next big leg of your country footy journey is, is where you are now in the Albany Sharks. So this is a club that uh, I believe it's two wins in 12 years, the first 12 years of their existence before uh, you arrived and there were some changes at the club. What sort of a place was it to walk into and how much work did it take to take them to a maiden finals appearance last year and a grand final appearance this year? Yeah, how good going to a club as a um, 38, 39-year-old uh, that's won two games in 12 years. Everyone was like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I suppose for me, I, I still thought and I knew uh, the body was in sort of good nick that I could give back um, to a club that, you know, on paper was struggling from a wins and losses point of view. But in regards to where I could see the future going with the Sharks, I, I was all in. Um, I was all in and, you know, I was going to drive down from, I was going to, yeah, drive down from Perth and um, play every week and, you know, Stranger things have happened, but I find myself living, you know, down here with, with a few opportunities that sort of pop up, and I wouldn't have it any other any any other way. And you know, it was hard work, but the structure that they've got from a from a management point of t- point of view, you know, the coaching in Jamie Ram, it was destined to have success. It probably came, and when I say success, success technically always isn't decide, um, defined by a medal or a trophy. Um, so I knew that, you know, probably came a little bit quicker in that first year to, to play finals. I think we won seven games, seven, eight games. And then, you know, everyone had a taste of it. It was a, it was, it was a big thing for the club and roll into this year and everything started to, um, everything started to click. We won more games. Yeah, we, we got a few players in. Some young guys stepped up, but, yeah, to play in a grand final for a team that two years ago, you know, just was getting sometimes some of the losses were like 200 points. To be a part of that, but at the end of the day, we we didn't win on grand final day. So once again, 
we've got to pull our socks up, get back to work and come back. I've committed to go again next year um, just so I can celebrate my 40th birthday playing footy. And, yeah, ho- hopefully it's not certainly not going to be easy because once, um, you know, we're the hunted now. Once other teams would just roll up and just go, oh, we're playing the Sharks, this is going to be four points, percentage boost, happy days, let's roll on, let's move forward. Whereas now we, we should be sort of a force to be reckoned with and um, if the young group and, and everyone involved knows that we've got a lot of hard work to do, yeah, hopefully next year I believe we're good enough that we can go the whole way and, and get the, the maiden grand final uh, victory and, and hold that trophy up. But it's been such an enjoyable time down here. And once again, young group, um, some really good footy players, not just in our team, in the competition down here. The Great Southern is a, is a really strong competition for six teams. And, yeah, once again, I'm just giving a little bit back and see if we can get that, that ultimate prize. Brett Peak has been an, an amazing footy journey for yourself, an amazing footy family, and the the drive to continue at country level has been uh, admirable. And Albany Sharks are one of the great footy stories, I think, and uh, and I think everyone should get around them next year. You are the hunted, which will be a little bit different, uh, but I think um, we are all barracking for, for you to get over the line next year, and it'll be another really interesting season. Thank you very much for joining us on the final episode of the Bush Footy Legends podcast. It's been um, it's been amazing. We appreciate you sharing all these stories and uh, and very appreciative. Much appreciated for having me on, and uh, yeah, all the best and thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bush Footy Legends. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you like, follow, and share it with your mates. Make sure you check in on them while you're there. For tips and advice on how to look after yourself, your family and your mates, visit thinkmentalhealthwa.com.au. Get in touch with us through our Instagram page at WA Country Football or if you want to suggest a guest, email us at wafc.com.au. If you're after more, stay tuned. We'll have an episode dropping every week.